Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. Welcome back to this week's episode of Evolving to Exceptional. I have another fantastic guest with us this week, Kyle Cross. Kyle works in a really unique type of role where he is a shared services support and in the HR function for law firms. I think he'll bring a tremendous amount of value and insight as we look at his career experience and how uniquely he uses that in that partnership space. So Kyle, I'd love to give you a chance to kind of introduce just a little bit about your path to HR, what makes you so passionate about HR. I know from talking to you previously, you are definitely passionate about HR and what it is you do and and why you do it. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. It's it's great to be here. And and for me, I think my path to HR was was really through psychology. Um, I was a psych major at, at Vanpan University here in St. Louis, and and played baseball there, and and kind of fell into IO Psych. Really, I, I'm sure every IO Psych professional or, or a lot of psych professionals out there, regardless of what discipline specifically, are always the the gung ho to be you know a psychiatrist or in the emergency room or in those really fun sort of organizations or challenging organizations. And then I realized that wasn't for me because watching Grey's Anatomy one episode, I was like, yuck, blood. So I, in talking with my advisor, having a little bit of a business background and, and seeing that. She kind of pushed me in the way of IO Psych, and, and I took a couple of courses at Fond Bon and just fell in love. The psychological side of work and how employees can get the most out of work and, and employers can get the most out of employees to get the most out of work is just such a fascinating science. And being able to live that on the day-to-day and, and be sort of on, for a long time, on the front lines of that it really inspired me to to take this sort of customer service approach to helping employees through their employee life cycle. And quite honestly, the more that I heard about human resources, it, it was really about the challenge for me of, of hearing HR has had this longstanding distinction of only being the hirers and firers and how I can use customer service, customer support, employee support to hopefully break down some of those those longstanding stigmas or, or those longstanding reputations. And it, it takes forever. It takes a long time and it's one employee at a time. So that's really kind of how I ended up in human resources. Right now, I'm the senior director of HR for Lexicon Services in Chesterfield. And we we provide both shared services, uh, professional services, and uh, software as a service for, for law firms. We currently have two clients and are in the process of expanding um, and looking for continual expansion. So it's definitely a unique set of challenges and circumstances for sure. So when I want to hit on one thing you said, and then and then I want to get into a little bit more about the the uniqueness of of working in that way or, or working as a, a, for an organization that serves other organizations. So I want to hit on the the topic of the reputation of HR or what people think of HR, because without fail, every HR person I talk to, and I, I talk to a lot to bring them on the podcast and talk about their challenges. Almost every single person is battling that stigma, is trying to to change that perception. And I almost uh, have hesitated in the past to use the the term HR or human resources because there is this visceral response to um, to HR. And I, I I think it's so ingrained in 
past practices rather than current practices. Um, it's almost like the whole function needs like a total revamp. And I know that Sherm and all the different organizations keep trying to to do that or trying to, to rebrand it, but it still remains a, a challenge. Do you see that um, in your interactions with, with you know, the, the attorneys that, that you're serving or even the people within, um, within Lexicon that you're serving as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I kind of take, have taken the, the contrary approach. I don't, I don't think it needs to be people operations or, um, you know, people in support or people experience or anything like that. To me, human resources, if you break it down, the word human comes first in, in my department for a reason. It's my job to give the human in the organization the resources that they need to be successful. And as cliche as that sounds, mm. it, it really starts with that sort of customer support that I talked about. Each of my customers are the 125 employees that I have here in St. Louis or the 400 that, that our law firm has around the United States. Um, and, and for each of them being my customers, uh, my my philosophy kind of very early on, I can think back to my first role in human resources. The the owner of the organization, it was a, a corporate janitorial or environmental services organization in South St. Louis, stopped in the HR department one day and, and was kind of talking through you know her experience and, and why she started the organization. And I remember her saying, you know, with some of these these individuals that are in, in environmental services and some of the target demographic. You know, if they are new to St. Louis, they're new to America, they're they're new to the working world, whatever it may be, you could be the one positive interaction they have all day. And that's mm -hmm. such the antithesis of the hirer and firer that it's my job, it's my responsibility to get to know my employees as individuals and, and be able to support them. In what they need. So, yeah, I've seen that. It's a day to day challenge that that grimace that people have when they know that human resources is in the office. Um, in fact, I heard it earlier this morning. I came to one of our locations because I was doing a presentation at our new employee orientation and I heard, oh, uh oh, human resources is here. It's like, hang on a second. Like, that's that's not how this works. Um, you know, I, I, I try to get here as much as I can and, and just show like I'm not always here to fire someone. Yeah. Um, I'm here to just be another employee, to be another ear, to be a resource that you have to continue your success here at this organization. Um and that just, it takes time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of continual effort. And it's always like that old, uh, to use another cliche, it's almost like two steps forward, one step backwards. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's a continual battle. It's probably something that I'll battle with my whole career, but I'm in the camp that, that thinks it's human resources for a reason. Um, and it's my job to be another human. It's my job to be another person in the organization and, and work with each person, no matter where they are, no matter where they've come from. Um, and support them in, in any way that I can. Uh, my door is, is always open. My phone's always on. Um, my, my desk phone even forwards to my cell phone, which probably drives my wife bananas. But, um, you know, that's, that's just the way that I feel. And, and that's hopefully, you know, the, I've been lucky enough to be around organizations that have supported that so far in my career. I really like the way that you defined that as, um, you know, it's it's about the humans, the humans come first and about providing them the resources they need to be successful. I think that's a really great way to look at and, and characterize it. And I, I almost, it's almost kind of comical to me, the, 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 the jokes that, that come with, with HR and really um, the only group that probably gets more negative jokes made about them are lawyers and attorneys. And, um, and I can own that a little bit because I went to law school. I am an attorney. I have spent most of my career now in HR, but 
but um, but I do have that background. And so, you know, as such, I've got a lot of different friends that work for for law firms and work in the the legal profession. And um, you know, law school creates a unique set of uh, people that come out of law school and a unique set of drive, ambition. And with that comes a lot of challenges. There's lots of statistics around attorneys being one of the most likely to have substance abuse issues. And that's talked about pretty significantly. I'm curious as a shared services organization that's supporting, you know, attorneys and from an HR and a human perspective, what are some of the 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 biggest challenges that you see that you're uh, needing to respond to in terms of supporting these law firms and these attorneys? Yeah, I think there's a variety. I, th- I think that we are pretty unique because our, our largest client is one of the the nation's largest domestic litigation law firms. Um, and, and so that being said, domestic litigation creates its own set of challenges. It, it takes a very unique personality to to understand and to to hold on to some of those emotions that that they go through on a day to day basis when it comes to matters like divorce and child custody and some of those things, and and it really carves out a very unique personality and and to those you know those mental challenges and to the things that they go through. I'll never understand that, but but my ears can absolutely be open. I'll never sit across from a client that you know maybe losing their children or or having to pay not 50, 60, 70% of their salary to, to alimony and child support, regardless of the circumstances. I'll, I'll never be in that room with them. I'll never know that. Um, but what I can do is is just provide an open ear to them um, and understand what they may need. Is that is that resources like a Calm or a Headspace app to promote you know mental well-being and mental wellness? Is it a, a more improved EAP program to give them somebody completely off-site that, that may know a little bit more about what they're going through? Or is it improving our wellness programs to encourage a little bit of balance? Is it giving them the time that they need and the flexibility they need in and out of the office to promote a little bit of that balance because of that emotional side of things? Um, So there's a variety of ways that you can do that. And we've been successful in in a couple of them in in providing that time out of the office. um, Our client uses an unlimited PTO uh, process or policy. Um, that allows their attorneys to to be in and out of the office, to be where they need to be when they need to be there. And on top of that, you know, we have a, a great benefits package. Um, our, our owner is is incredibly passionate about providing the best in class benefits that he can. Um, and it, he'll come in from time to time and say, you know what, we, we have great benefits, but find something to make it better. Make some improvements for our people because that's just the, that's the person that he is. That's what he cares about is the employee experience. And making sure that all those variables that that we can control, we can add to add value to that. And whether it's benefits or compensation or whatever it may need to be, we can adjust and we can tweak those things, and and we can support them from a human resources perspective to to allow that better balance, to allow them to integrate their work and life, so that especially when it comes to domestic litigation and some of the stress that they're dealing with, um, they don't have to take so much of that that home. They don't, it's, it's not a hundred percent their burden to bear. Um, we have a, a, a unique customer service department that works both with attorney and client that, that is an, another set of ears, another set of eyes and, and just kind of, um, another person that they can reach out to and make sure that they're getting the utmost satisfaction out of their case and, the, and their files and things like that. So it's all about that support going back to that. Um, and I'll probably sound like a broken record by the end of this with that, but it's about providing those resources, the, those 
whether tangible or not tangible, you're a lot like you're able to tweak and adjust and control those things that may not be controlled by the attorney or by the the customer that you're supporting because of the type of matter that they're going through. So I'm curious, you, you talked about there's a lot of elements to that. You talked about the unlimited paid time off and there's there's a lot of um I think there's mixed feedback there, right? So there's benefits because you get to have that flexibility, but then the the downside is it depends on the the, the culture expectations, right? Of of what what is expected in terms of of delivering, and and attorneys, there's a huge pressure around billable hours, and so there's a history of working just incredibly long hours and putting a lot in. Have you seen that culture shift in more recent years? Have you seen anything change in terms of some of that pressure in response to some of the the maybe more cultural uh, reactions to the the challenges of high levels of stress and what that does and the things that that people have been through in recent years? Yeah, and I, I think it's it's changed really in, in all honesty because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um I think, you know, even even looking at, at the firm before or, or our organization, my organization at Lexicon before the pandemic, you really adopted this sort of results only work environment that that allowed you to be where you needed to be when you needed to be there. And then the height of the pandemic hits and it's like, well, nobody can come to the office. You can't be around each other. We really don't know what we don't know and what to expect. And there's this long list of questions of, uh, that we don't have answers to. And now as you start to kind of claw your way back out of that, it, it's, it's, a, it's an adjustment to get back to something that, that really um, fit the organization well or fit the firm well. If you look at how well our, our culture operated and then boom, everybody's remote, everybody's completely out of the office. And now it's like, how do we navigate that? back to where that unlimited PTO is actually a benefit. And, and I, I know there's hundreds of, of for and against, and, and there's all sorts of debates on unlimited PTO. And, and we could probably have a, a two hour long debate just on that specifically, but it is really, okay, now that we're coming out of the pandemic and, and how do we use that as an incentive and how do we use that to, to reassure our, our employees, our valuable team members that they can disconnect. They can get out of the office. And that's tough, especially because of the pressures that, that you talked about. What are my clients going to need when I'm out of the office? What And for me specifically, what are my employees going to need when I'm out of the office? It goes into kind of this grand scheme of things that you have to hire the right talent that can stick up and, and take care of each other while we're out. And it becomes this culture of trust, collaboration, and support. And that's something that we have to relearn coming out of the COVID pandemic. That's something that probably a lot of organizations are relearning coming out of the pandemic. And, and similarly to what we talked about in, in changing this sort of narrative about human resources, it's something that's going to take time and it's something that we've seen positives and something that we've seen negatives about. Unemployment's low, but turnover seems high, which is an interesting kind of conundrum. And just working through that and making sure that we're providing that support and that culture that employees want and need to be successful it is kind of my team's goal for this year and, and for the next two to five years. I think you uh, hit on something really powerful there in terms of trust. 
And I think that when you think about the the historical cultures, I'm not sure that our cultures really trusted employees. Um, now, we expected employees to trust the organization or trust the leaders, but I'm not sure that there was the reciprocal trust. And there was certainly a response or a big question mark when everybody went virtual as to what was going to happen and whether that trust would, you know, whether they could trust people to work virtually or not. Um, but when you when you go back historically, in, in a lot of cases, when you think about the ability to just replace people if they're not doing a good enough job or if they're not meeting requirements or things like that, um, it becomes that, you, can I trust my organization? Can I trust my people to deliver on, on what I'm asking them um, to deliver on? And so it's almost as if now, as, and especially when it comes to unlimited pay time off, which actually I am a a fan of, uh, consequently, it requires trust, right? It requires being able to trust your people to make good decisions about what they're doing, where they're doing it, when, when they're doing it. But it requires that trust to go both ways, that there's that mutual understanding of what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. What do you see, you know, in terms of, of, trust in these organizations, either around PTO or just in general, with the challenge of making that shift and and creating that culture within within organizations? I think I think it's been tougher to build that trust because of how much we leverage technology at times. I think it certainly can be done. And when it do, when it's done well, it, it unlocks this sort of next level of performance for your team. But uh, I do think it's tougher because it's easy for me to just pack my laptop when I go and travel and, and pop on to email and check emails at night, uh, you know, when the kids are asleep or whatever, um, or when everyone's out to dinner or after dinner or whatever. Uh, and I've I've had people on my team do that. And it's like, oh, no, I can check email. Well, no, you need to unplug and you need to to take the time that you need because human resources is, is an incredibly stressful, sometimes thankless uh, area of work. And you need to value that time and value yourself when you're out of the office. So it's it, it's that constant reminder. Um, it's the constant communication of, hey, making sure that you have this backup identified or this person identified and you're out of office so that you don't have to take your technology. Somebody like me, I'm, I'm happy to, but I don't expect an HR generalist or an HR coordinator to take their their laptops and their stuff with them. I, I want everyone up to me to take their time and to enjoy it it, for me, it comes with the territory a little bit. It being the one that's been nominated to, to steer the ship a little bit, I have to, you know, be able to be plugged in at all times. And and thankfully, you know, in, in my organization and in previous organizations, I've been lucky enough to be around individuals that have trusted me and that I've trusted to be able to say, you know what, okay, I can unplug. I, I can trust whomever it may be to do that, but it takes time. It, it's about building that relationship and those constant communications of not not chastising someone, right? But like, hey, just as a gentle reminder, I don't expect you to respond to emails at midnight or I don't expect you to respond to emails when you're on vacation. I get that you have the technology to do so, but you don't need to. We have this for you. We can we can support you. We are a team for a reason. Um, and that's one of the things that we, when I came, when I came back to Lexicon, kind of in my career arc, if you will, one of the things that we established very early on on, on our team was, just, hey, if, if, anytime if you need to delegate, no questions asked. If you need to nominate a backup for while you're on PTO, great. Look, 
you're trusted as an individual, that we are a team. And if you need anything, if you have something that you just can't get done, that you just can't get to, it's it's not a judgment. It's not a negative. It's something that we do to rally together and, and to build a cohesive unit because we're all here for the same reason. We're all here to support our employees and, and our clients to make sure that they're as successful as they can possibly be. It's interesting in thinking about technology's impact on building trust in general. Um, and you made me think about with, with taking, you talk about taking your laptop. I also was 100% on all the time until the birth of my first child. And it took me a couple weeks. My, my son came early. It took me a couple weeks to even put on my out of office because I was just like, no, I never do that. I'm always accessible and I can respond. And But really, there is a time period and there is a time when you actually can't respond. And, and that's one of them. But I think about that, um, you know, that technology piece and whether... Um, you know, whether it is the, you know, the having to interact through technology or what the what the components of that are that maybe make it more difficult to establish trust. Do you do you feel like that? What do you feel like is is getting in the way of of having that trust or creating that trust from a from a broad perspective, you know, from an organizational perspective? I think it's the timing. Like it's it's the time that it takes to build trust knowing that we can leverage technology the way that we did during the pandemic, it's not an instant gratification. You have to take the time of being on meetings, meeting with people, talking to people, getting to know them um, as individuals and as contributors to your team or your organization. And that trust is built over time. I, I think there's typically a couple of different styles, right? When people start, you started either zero, 50% or 100% trust. Then there are individuals that work in different ways. Either you start at zero and earn that trust, you start at 100 and, and lose that trust. To me, I found the balance being right in, right in the middle uh, at that sort of 50%. Because if you if you give someone the trust that they need to, to continue to be successful, they're going to show you how successful that they can be. Are there times that they're going to break your trust? Are there times that there are going to be issues? Yeah, but you still have some in, in that quote unquote bucket, if you will, that it doesn't completely deplete to zero or it, it's not this massive hit to where you're like, no, I don't trust this person anymore. There are gives and takes in the times that it, it takes to trust someone. So if you kind of start with sort of that middle ground of, hey, uh, you're obviously here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. Let's work together and, and build this team, build this organization into the best it can be. If some small mistakes happen, success isn't final and failure is never going to be fatal. And that's just one of the things that I've tried to coach my team here on is being able to adapt to those things and recognizing the fact that we're all here for a reason. We were all hired because we're talented professionals and, and we can do some really incredible things together. I think it's interesting if you think about... Um... If you're familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team and Patrick Lencioni's pyramid and base of that pyramid is is trust. It's foundational to accomplishing and ultimately getting to results. And the opposite of that trust is a, a lack of vulnerability that that when we don't aren't able to be vulnerable, aren't able to engage at that level, um, that is what breeds that that lack of trust or, or issues with trust. And I think you make a good point about how especially for people who are maybe more resistant to um, to engaging in that way, that when you're virtual or you're separate physically, it's a little more easier. It's a little bit easier to hide, to not have to engage in those types of conversations 
episodes or talk about the challenges. You can kind of keep things, you know, maybe a little bit more separated or a, a little bit not having to reveal more about yourself. I wonder if by having that kind of buffer, it makes it makes it more difficult to then have those conversations or engage. And to your point, you've got to schedule it. You got to get on the meeting. You got to get, you got to be there. Um, and that makes it, makes it more, more challenging or more, more difficult to do so, especially for those that are really uncomfortable. Um, and maybe haven't in general, you know, maybe haven't even before the pandemic and before going virtual, um, that was a struggle for them. What are some of the the challenges, uh, the biggest challenges you've seen over in terms of of supporting, you know, the attorneys? What are they struggling with that you're needing to help them with? Yeah, I think it's a it's a handful of things. It's that stress that we talked about earlier. I ca- I can't even begin to fathom, you know, the mental burden that that puts on someone or or takes from someone, if you will. Um, I think flexibility has been more increasing, especially in the, in the the world that that we live in here in in my organization because whether you've started a family whether your family has grown whether you just need kind of a little bit more flexibility to make yourself feel comfortable in the organization i feel like that has been one of the key components of how do we promote that but but also encourage that sort of organic connection um because you mentioned it earlier of of being around of being on meetings of of meeting in person of talking that has to be an organic connection, and, and that's how we're it, we're going to be the most successful. If we force that, tell everyone that they have to be in the office Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., we're going to have a, a, a laundry list of people on their way out the door. And, and that's not – at times that's beneficial, but how how can you support an organization if half of your organization is, is exiting – um, it's got to be this organic change, this sort of spark to, and, and shared excitement to – be around each other to to still have and retain that flexibility, but to also know that hey, if I go in the office, maybe I can catch up with Kyle and see how you know his son's doing at swim lessons, or um, you know see how his wife likes likes her new practice that she's working at, kind of thing. Um, and, and just getting to know people as individuals and, and recognizing what's important to them. I know that part of my team is motivated by this, and the other part is motivated by that, and I can help coach them to those things. And it just continues to build that that sort of organic foundation and trust. Um, and you're right, the pyramid or fundamentals of the team that that trust is is really in the right place of being the foundation of all of that. Yeah, and it just makes such a huge difference. I'm curious. You talked about the stress and the, that that overwhelm or that that the challenges of that um, a couple of times. What are your strategies around supporting him in that? Now you've talked about you know being there for them and talking to them specifically. Is there any specific like initiative or focus or something that that you guys are doing to you know address that ongoing challenge? Yes and no. I think there's been some some culturally culturally adopted sort of uh, initiatives that are that are more around like employment quality um, and wellness. Some of the things that we can control inside of the employment life cycle. Um, we have a very robust wellness program that you know can can help you challenge you from anything to to walking more, to working out more, to to being more financially sound and stable, and and some of those types of coaching mechanisms. Um, some things that I'd, I'd love to see us do and, and look into are things like, I think I briefly mentioned in, in my introduction, like a calm and a headspace, mm-hmm. giving attorneys or, or paralegals or, or even our, our administrative assistants 
the ability to to have something that can help ground them. That when if I know that I'm preparing for um, a, a very stressful client or a very stressful meeting, or even here on the corporate side, if I know I'm going into something that's going to be a difficult meeting, well, hey, let me grab this free resource that I now have that I can take 10 minutes of my time to prep and catch up and, and kind of ground myself so that I know going into it, I'm in a, in a better position to be correctly engaged. I think in some of those difficult circumstances, our psyches are designed to immediately protect itself. So if you're able to ground yourself before going into that meeting, maybe you don't seem so um, defensive to a, an unhappy client, or I don't seem so defensive justifying an action that I took in a termination meeting or, or in a hiring meeting or, or whatever, um, or in any sort of employee engagement survey. I'm, I'm able to remain grounded and remain steady, and, and it, it helps adding some of those resources. And especially if you can do so, you know, budgeted at, at a, a low to, to no premium for the employee. Um, I think it's just adding those supports. It's providing a, a more robust employee assistance program so that the employee knows that, hey, you know, I know this is HR provided, but I can pick up the phone and call someone completely confidentially. Um, and nobody at the organization knows if, when, where, why, or how I use it. Um, and it's just educating employees on on the things that they can take advantage of inside of the programs that we already have built. I love that. And I, I was just, it made me think, I was just uh, interviewing a, a leadership coach and expert um, the other day, and she was talking about the importance of managing our energy levels and being more conscious in terms of of how we're engaging in, in different interactions and really developing that leadership of self or that self-awareness component to to give people that support, that ability to know. And, and I, I always think it's so interesting. I feel like going to law school, they teach you just about everything a little bit about just about everything. Um, so you kind of, you know, learn all the different elements of business and all these different components. But the thing that for sure they don't teach you about is some of that self-awareness and self-management is that, you know, that neuroscience of how our bodies work and how we can uh, manage our stress levels and and how our, our reactions are impacted by our inability to manage our internal emotional state, our, our emotional responses to feedback or other interactions that we have. And some of those things are, are some of the most important things that we do. Um, and certainly are critically important to leadership development, which I know we talked uh, a bit about um, when we, we last talked about the importance of, you know, having that leadership development piece. And so I'm, I'm curious if you want to share just a little bit about how you're tackling that that challenge what does leadership development look like maybe both within within your specific organization but then also as you're supporting these law firms how are you supporting them in and their leadership development practices and programs that's a great question and, and so for us it's been this ongoing development that was probably in, in progress even before I got here uh, and, and it's about building everything, not not necessarily everything, but really building the foundation for them that they can learn from those of us that, that are already doing that. For example, if you newly promote a leader at the, at the law firm or even here at Lexicon, bringing them in, letting them, you know, spend the day with a handful of folks that are well-designed, well, well-oriented in the world of leadership, um, you're able to, to train them on how to delegate, how to have difficult conversations, when to loop in human resources to help us alleviate some of that stigma that we've talked about throughout our conversation 
And then to build on that, how can I leverage external partners to send them to a foundational leadership course or how to communicate as a leader or any of those, the, the litany of um, incredible experience and leadership development training programs that are out there? How can I build this sort of give and take, this sort of internal and external partnership that really allows our leaders to continue to grow in a way that supports the growth? Not only, you know, if you look at the shared services organization that I work for or the law firm, because it's it's my responsibility and human resources to help groom and grow the next generation of their leaders so that the firm lasts another 30, 60, 90 years um, and continues to grow and do things that, that are supportive of employees. And that starts for me, that starts here with, with my organization, Lexicon, because we have to build that, that development potential. We have to challenge employees at times so that to, to step into leadership roles and to take the, the bull by the horns, if you will, and, and sort of step out of their comfort zone, um, and dive into some of those trainings. And, and, and it's hard because that's ongoing. There, there's no perfect program yet. We started the sort of entry level, um, version of that that's done mostly in-house last year and then we're looking to continue to build on that this year and next year so ideally it ends up being a four to five part series to where here at our organization you get through that in a progressive manner as you sort of move up the the corporate ladder but also the if it's successful on our side the firm may be able to use that as they continue to identify their future leaders their future partners and on up their corporate ladder as well um, because it, it takes a, a completely different skill set to be a people leader. And, and we know that it's it's not always innately given to someone that you have to be able to learn and, and kind of sharpen that skill set. Um, and if if I have someone on my team that, that would benefit from that, by all means, I would I would make sure that they get to that because it's this, this challenge. It's the, the ongoing crux of the challenge, right, of, of how I can make sure that I train them well enough so that they can be successful in any organization, but I also treat them well enough that they want to stay in my organization. And that, and that is, you're right, the crux of the issue and such a challenge to keep that, to have that retention so that they grow. So you develop them and they grow within rather than, than moving on. Although I would say more so now than ever, we're seeing a lot of lateral movement, a lot of people moving across and within organizations. Um, and there's a lot of talk about how organizations are going to keep changing so so significantly due to technology changes and um, just business change in general that the the type of function that you do um, y- you are unlikely to be in your entire life in most cases that, that it's gonna shift it's gonna change the nature of it is going to change pretty significantly so as a result of of kind of that, some of those challenges, what do you find is one of the the biggest missing pieces for leaders? What do you find is something that either as new leaders or or even as as leaders who've maybe been there for a while, um, and maybe that's even more so the case, have been there for a while, but are still struggling with particular leadership skill sets or, or capabilities that you see as, as necessary to their, their being an effective leader? Yeah, I think that differs. And the the two kind of main concepts that I've seen are, are delegation, because one is, we'll start there, but delegating in a sense that I know my team is incredibly busy. I know their plates are already full. How do I take a new project or something that's on my plate 
and pass that on? And how do I make them understand that? So it's delegating. And for me, the other one that I've seen kind of in, in my career thus far is the ability to give direct and, and difficult conversation or, or to host a direct and difficult conversation in a way that ultimately is not destructive. Um, and, and people listening to this, people watching this may scratch their head and be like, how is that even possible? Um, it, and it's an equal mix of art and science. And, and I'll be honest, I'm probably not very good at it either, but it's more of a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Um, but if you're able to give someone very direct, very clear, um, sometimes difficult messaging, but still reinforce that support that they need from you, ultimately, I think that's the key to being a successful leader and, and to continuing to grow as a is if you're able to to share the delegation, to share the work, even though you recognize the fact that they're incredibly busy, um, having a high level of, of accountability and a high level of empathy, I think usually continues to build really, really good leaders. Um, so you're able to delegate, you're able to understand, you're able to hear them and take those things in, into consideration. But then when you need to, you're able to deliver that difficult, sometimes direct sometimes destructive feedback because those conversations have a tendency to turn that way. But if you're able to do that in a way that supports the employee, that supports the individual, that supports the human in them, and ultimately is in their best interest, it it, it becomes, again, it, it's like it unlocks that next level. So so I, I had, I've had some interesting feedback around this um, in terms of of talking with with individuals and in other organizations, and I'd love your your insight on this. So, one of the things I keep hearing, and a lot of things you just talked about, that's missing is that is kind of that self awareness. Is that um, you know more of that self leadership or that that ability to um, engage in those conversations, to be aware of of the impact that your words are having, and and what what impacted how you want to deliver that message when you're having those critical conversations and being conscious of other people's then, um, you know, responses as a result of, of being more aware, aware of yourself. And, you know, I, I just heard a, a, a statistic or, or, the, or a study around that Harvard did around emotional intelligence as an example of self-awareness and that they did a study that 95% of people thought that they were self-aware or, or emotionally intelligent, um, but only like um, 40% of them actually were. Um, so there was a huge disconnect in terms of what we think, how how much we think we're self-aware. And you you talked about do, do as I say, not as I do. I think um, I was probably that way for a bulk of, of my career and in terms of how I delivered feedback and whether it was effective and um, how it was received and some of the challenges that come from from it, I wonder, you know, just your thoughts on um, that being part of the the missing piece for a lot of of leaders, where um, they've done a they they know how to you know they know the steps of how they're supposed to deliver feedback or set expectations or you know hold people accountable, but they don't actually know how to like embody doing it and doing it effectively. Yeah, I think that's been <clears throat> excuse me one of the biggest challenges that I've had so far. Um, is because it, I honestly need to do as much, if not more, work on myself than I do with individuals that report to me or individuals that report to individuals that report to me. Um, and it's making sure that, again, that I do the steps and, and take the take care of myself to go through that process and, and start to embody that. Because, I, you know, you can talk all day long about the situation, uh, behavior impact, uh, sort of philosophy 
and and work through that and it's really successful but i have to be able to do that to myself before i can do that to someone that reports to me i have to look at some of the behaviors that i portray and the situations that i portray them and what impact that may cause to others around me at the same as when i give feedback to someone on my hr team for whatever circumstance um so one of the things that i've tried to take call it new year new me uh, that sort of initiative to start doing the work outside of outside of work, uh, of learning, of reading different philosophies, of of listening to to podcasts like Evolving to Exceptional, and, and getting to know what other people are doing um, to make sure that I am really that. part of being leader. Part of that extra burden for me to bear is that I have to do as much work on myself or for myself as I do for those on my team or those that I support in the org. No, I love that you said that. I I, I joke. Um, I, I actually wrote an article about my biggest career mistake to date was not getting a coach sooner in my life. That I actually didn't get one until my my last year in corporate. I just kind of thought I was in development. I was doing stuff all the time. I was learning and growing. That was enough. Um, and I didn't appreciate um that that third party perspective. You know, not your CEO or your leader, whomever you report to within the organization, but having somebody who can bring you this this. This really alternative perspective and the value that 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 was able to bring me in terms of looking at at my own performance. But I I love that that we have to kind of you know do it first and demonstrate it first. And I think that it's actually really helpful to also look at some of these challenges as not necessarily being deficits of leadership. Like it's not as though that leaders who haven't yet developed the, this capability or that skill set. Um, that there's something wrong with them or they're missing something or something's, I mean, I maybe used that word earlier, but that there was, they were missing or there's something wrong in terms of their leadership, but instead that it's beneficial, it's growth, it's expansion, it's that there's still more to be learned. Um, and, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that leaders make, especially as they get into the highest levels of leadership is when they stop learning and growing, when they stop um, being willing to engage in and consider that maybe they haven't been exposed to something new or that they, they need to grow in some way, that they think that they have all the answers and they're not, they're no longer willing to participate in the training programs and the development things for themselves. And I think that can be a really big challenge. Absolutely. I agree. I love this. I want to give you a chance to, um, you know, before we wrap up, if you have any, you know, final thoughts you want to offer, um, you know, either about our conversation or just in general uh, to to our audience before we we wrap this up. You're putting me on the spot. Uh, so no, I I think that you know it, the one thing that I think that I've learned in my career thus far is that nothing is nothing is ever going to be perfect, right? We have to deal with the different circumstances because we're dealing with humans. We're dealing with people. Um, and, and one of the sayings that my team has probably heard me say ad nauseum is, is what I said earlier. Uh, success is not final and failure is not fatal. Um, we can learn from every success. We can make every success better. We can learn from every failure and we can commit to never making that same mistake again. And that's how I challenge myself every day as an HR leader, as a people leader, and as a human is making sure that I'm always learning, always putting in the work. Because as I said, kind of towards the tail end here, 
that work is that the ownership of that work on on me is almost double of what I would expect or, or what I need to do for my employees. I need to be continuing to develop myself and and we as leaders need to do the same thing. We as HR professionals need to do the same thing. Um, and, and I look forward to you know the continued growth of the HR professional and and the continued growth of the leadership development that we're able to do here and what I'm learning about from external partners. Um, never, never stop growing, never stop learning. And it's, it's been, uh, thank you again for having me, Jessica. This has been a really, really fun conversation. Thank you for, for coming on Kyle. And I love what you said there about, um, you know, about always learning and growing and, and, and seeing our, our challenges through that lens. One of the things I like to always say is that there's really no, the, the only time we can really fail is when we give up is when we don't move forward. Everything else is simply either a success or an opportunity to grow and learn. And I, when we look at life that way, um, it's a little bit more enjoyable and a lot less stressful. So anything we can do to reduce stress and and help help progress um, you know, our leaders and our organizations forward is where we want to be. So Kyle, you're doing amazing things. Your organization is, is just fantastic. I love the model and what you guys do. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. And um, to all of our guests, just a reminder to just always keep evolving. Have a wonderful day.